or Barigapod podcast. This is Dead Cinema Society, a show concerned with the revitalization of cinema out from entertainment. My name is Chris. It's the return of Ingi Bingi. Ingi Bingi breaking all the records on Dead Cinema Society, his fourth film to grace our luscious studios. Ingmar Bergman's 1963 film, part of his trilogy of faith, Winter Light. This is one of the better conversations the society has ever had. The show as a whole is one of the best shows we've ever done. So why don't you head over to our YouTube page, give us a subscribe if you don't mind. Tell us what you think about the show. And without any further ado, here is Ingmar Bergman's Winter Light. I wish that I could have included all of that scene as our intro. I know. But, man, it kept, could, Yeah, you kept going from it. there. That was really good. He yeah. starts talking about how... Well, tell, tell yeah, the well, people... How well, yeah, that so, scene ends. Well, the scene ends. Uh, so we're talking about Winter Light by Ingmar Bergman. What? Oh, you want the whole group? I'm going to get there, man. Okay. Trust the process, bro. <laughs> man, Trust double the N. Process. I'm, trying Trust the, I'm trying to help him. Trust button. the process. Learn from a man escape. All right. Where's my spoon? I'm going to... Where's my spoon? <laughs> Where's your pencil? <laughs> Somebody give me a spoon. Where's your spoon? Where's your pencil? So, yeah, it, Winter Light, it, that scene ends with uh, the... Uh, disabled man uh, talking about how the crucifixion of Christ it's not the physical pain that, that Christ is concerned with and that, that is not why he is suffering and why he's crying out in agony it's like throughout his whole life he has been told you're the son of God you are the Messiah you know you are leading our people and he does good works and he performs miracles in his most dire moment where the Romans are crucifying him he's literally being nailed to a cross he cries out God why have you forsaken me? And they bring up in the in this beautiful scene of just like that must have hurt the most because in your most pivotal moment where you're supposed to have the man and the and the being who is with you at all times, he's not there. He's silent. The pain is God's silence, not the well, physical pain. Well, that moment's interpreted in many different ways. I think more what he was referring to was how he's not crying out about the physical pain, but rather the pain of his disciples being completely clueless as to what his message was really about, mm. you know, like, and, and that's reflected with Simon, with Peter who betrays him three times before the cock crows. And basically what he, what that character was saying was like, what really hurt Jesus was that his closest friends as people who he was teaching for three, four years at the end of the day, when it came down to the wire, they abandoned him. Mm -hmm. They abandoned him. And then he comes back, and he comes back walking on water, and then they start speaking in tongues, and they have flames above their head. That's the gospel according to Chris. No, that's, that's the gospel. That's the, they start speaking in tongues. Who? The disciples. When, he comes, when, when Jesus meets them on, on the fishing boat, when he mm -hmm. comes back, basically uh, right before the ascension, he speaks to them and says, Go spread my word. And they say, well, we only speak this language. And he goes, okay. And then they start speaking all of the languages. Mm. Sort of the Tower of Babel. That's, sort of that's season three of The Chosen. Yeah, sorry. I haven't <laughs> read that script <laughs> yet. That script yet. <laughs> uh, no, that's actually probably season seven. Okay. Yeah, we're a ways away from that. Um, okay, Chris, what movie is this? Winter this Light? is Winter Light. Winter Light tells the story of uh, 
Tomas, I don't think we ever get his last name, uh, but Tomas is a country priest, uh, and they actually I read up against this. It's uh, in a small town in Sweden uh, where he kind of leads a uh, unfortunately not very responsive, uh, I forget what they call them, people who go to church. Congregation. Congregation, thank you, Paul. You bet. A very kind of uh, uh, disinterested congregation. And you learn that uh, Tomas, while he might have been at one point a very good parishioner, a very good pastor, priest, whatever you want to call them. He has fallen on hard times, and unfortunately, his wife has passed away, and he is confronted with the kind of existential crisis of, if God has not protected me, or if God has not looked out for my people, why why should I keep going? Uh, and this manifests in a... <laughs> you're okay, bud. Yeah. This manifests in Aaron hitting the microphone. Uh, in the movie, it manifests as uh, a man, Max von Sydow, Jonas Pearson coming to him in a moment of need, in a moment of extreme self-doubt and extreme self-harm thinking. And he's like, I'm going to kill myself. Weirdly, because China has the ability to make a, 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 a nuke, a, a nuke uh, which is a very weird thing to think about when you're Swedish. Uh, but in his, in his existential dread, the, the pastor does not comfort him and, in fact, lets him know of his own humanness. Uh, causing the man to kill himself, and it pushes this priest further into self-doubt, further into you know, reclusiveness. He lashes at the people that love him, and in the end is literally putting on a show, and the people in the town know. They know that he's being false, and that is where the winner, winner oh, line that's how he, is. Did anyone else interpret the ending differently from that, or is that unified? As far as his decision to continue to, without an audience, without necessarily belief, he continues... To, to, to lead the congregation. That was my interpretation. Mm. He's just saying the words. He doesn't believe them. But why does he choose to do it? That's what I was. I thought with maybe no audience. With no audience, then you'd you'd be. I, I took that that decision. Then is this is his? Am I going to find redemption? Am, am, is there? What have I missed to this point? If his parents have pushed him into this um, vocation. And it hasn't returned what he thought it would return. Uh, he's now going to do. He's now going to pay this entire his entire vocation lip service and see exactly what what comes of it. Uh, to me, he was the. This was he was so reduced to absolute nothingness here that uh, we'll see if actually God can show up and uh, <laughs> and revitalize me. Um, well, it's sort of like he chooses. You can either choose to abandon this ideal and and have the love of a woman, mm -hmm. or you can choose to hold on to the ideal and 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 continue to sort of manifest that lifestyle. And it looks like he chooses in the end to continue it, right? I don't think so. I think because I don't think it's that choice because he doesn't love the woman. He flat out says it, and everybody knows it. He, he yeah. does not love that woman. The love that he had in his life was his wife, and she's no longer there. There is nothing mm -hmm. left for him to do, and he had he tried to hold on to what he had in the church, and he found nothing. Like like in that scene, he found God's silence, and that's where he's at. He wish he could hear, but he can't. A little backstory, however, as to how 
this ending was decided by Bergman. <clears throat> he took, he spent many years uh, just sitting in church, not many years. He sat in many churches before they made this film to decide which church to shoot in. Mm-hmm. And his father, who we've talked about in the past, was a pastor. He grew up with his father being a pastor. And he invited his father to sit in with him a couple times. And one of the churches he sat in, the pastor came out and was sick. But he and he was like suffering, but he decided to continue to to do the communion regardless of his health. And so his dad went up and helped him get through it. Um, and so Bergman, I have a quote here: um, "Irrespective of everything, you will hold your communion it is important to the churchgoer, but even more important to you." So he took inspiration from that moment where this guy was, you know, sick, but he chose to regardless he he will hold his communion and so that's why i thought maybe at the end tomas decides that he will hold his communion regardless in other words it's about him i mean it's it's not about him throughout the film it's about him it's about mm-hmm. him when he's confronted by max von snydow mm-hmm. it's about by snydow side that's right max von snydow make sure Jonas. it becomes a meme yeah, and I, i'm really looking forward to the the snydow verse right yeah, yeah it's coming out yeah it's coming this? it's coming snydow's coming but he's he's selfish in that moment when somebody's reaching out mm-hmm. he's he, he makes it about him yeah he makes it about him with the woman as well and in the end if we're looking for some optimism even though he doesn't necessarily believe in this thing and even though there's no audience he's trying to maybe sway towards selflessness a little bit more. But I think he's not doing that. I think it's an interpretation of of not discipline, but <laughs> <laughs> No, you no, might be right. I'm not convinced either way. Yeah. So what do you what do you think? Well, you guys are firing off, but um, I mean, we can always give our scores too. Well, let's, no. let's finish this and then we'll do that. No scores. Um, no. You know, I I think uh the ending is about blind faith. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I I I was laughing cuz it it's almost comedic where it's like Oh, he's he's sick, so he's going to continue his communion. You're sick, so you're going to like continue your communion and and spread your sickness to your whole congregation. That's wow. No, I think it's actually see. It's it's interesting you bring that up. I don't disagree with it, but for me, it, it's like it reset the moment where I said, "Oh, this is." is this what all priests go through at some point? And then they finally present this stoicism to their flock. And it's like, okay, now I'm ready. I realized that this was an absolutely pointless vocational effort on my part. Why am I even doing this? Because yeah, I, I have too much to say about this movie. It's, I, I, it's funny. I felt like we were now starting his life as a priest with the congregation. I thought this is exactly um, this is the moment when when we reset. He's now ready. Um, but I don't think he's ready. But that's what I'm saying. It's, yeah. I don't even know how to say it. It's like he's ready. Like he's um, he can now present himself because he's just like every other sort of functionary priest that's out there or pastor. It's like oh, they just just robotically delivering communion and and delivering sermons. Um, the journey throughout the movie of his the suffering and his self-involvement and oh his depression and then we just get to this point at the end where i thought it was more like oh this is like this is this is these are the these are the catholic priests i grew up with yeah you know that's that's exactly what he presented to me at the end of this movie i felt like it was we had gone through the entire movie for him to present himself as your typical priest i went oh, this is brilliant 
Yeah, well, to me, at the end, that metaphor is like, now he's just spreading the sickness of what he doesn't believe. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. It's I think, really sad. I think you have a point, because at the beginning of the film, you have him acting almost as a doctor to these very sick people, mm-hmm. you know, mentally sick. Yeah. They're all depressed. They're all looking for meaning. And the way that they approach the altar, it's like they're approaching their doctor who's mm-hmm. going to give them their, their right. medication, their fix. Right. And... And that's that whole sequence is beautifully shot. Um, I mean, but then, but then the 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 catch twenty two of it is that he's sick. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. yeah, that's them the sickness. So great. He's yes. sick, and and yet he's qualified to medicate the other yes. sick people yeah. mentally yes. and yes. physically. Like right. he is mentally ill, yes. and he's also physically has a flu. Right. So you're literally mm-hmm. making your congregation sick on all levels. That's interesting and it brings me harpens back to the virgin spring our conversation about that where it's these people just following through with the motions Mm -hmm. and they're not really connecting to the source anymore and you could say that that final scene is that he's just going to continue to be a hypocrite and a coward for the rest of his life because he's not god doesn't want you to not be attentive to your own sickness in the name of this this like procedure this show really like yeah put the show to the side get get better man go sleep i feel like that's what god would say he wouldn't say like no regardless of your sickness you must come and perform this this show for this audience that's not even in existence so speaking as a as a a former catholic who used to go and i have i've had these conversations with priests because i've i've seen them in the gym and I said, Father Ryan, why are you working out? Like, does God want you to bench press 300 pounds? And he said, no, I work out so that I can remain on this earth longer for you. Because they take care of themselves because it, it is not a sin, but it is looked down upon for a priest to take a sick day. Because you are a representation of God. And yeah. God is always supposed to be available. That's yeah, why a exactly. lot of priests will work until they're dead. Literally. Yeah. Like you, you don't retire as a priest. You're, well, that, you're expected yeah. to work. That's exactly right. And Thomas didn't get that phone call because no. he's not available for Jonas. No. Because he's not taking care of himself. Yeah. And he makes him sick. It was like the one guy was like, hey, I'm considering taking my life. And I thought I was laughing because it was just like It was hilarious. Hey, I'm I'm I I'm I don't know what to do with my life. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about killing myself, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I don't, I don't know what to do either." That's it. Maybe we should. And he's yes. like, "Oh, you know, it's like it's just this moment of like the one person you think you can turn to, the confessional booth. Yeah, like God is there for you, and it's like, no, man, I'm, I'm going through it too. And you're like, wow. Did you guys get vibes that this was happening during like World War or like a Black Plague or something like? Like one of those times. I don't know. Did they put this in a historical? No, I, I didn't get context? that context. I mean, yeah. you know, when we introduced the you know modern cars, or you know, at least yeah, you know, nineteen fifties. Well, it was so Volvo. dreary. Yeah, I think that's just Sweden. Mm. Just Wait, Sweden there wasn't in the winter. There wasn't a, a a specific year that this film took place. In the context of the film, no, no. Mm. Yeah, well, the because it was bomb, everyone war. So it's close. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it was when China. When did China come up with the atom bomb? Atom bomb. Probably in the, the after the United 40s. States did. So probably sixties. Yeah, early sixties. Probably early sixties. Probably. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, that did not look 60s. Again, Sweden, Sweden <laughs> village, small village. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you saw people with, with horses and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's the sort of dread is that um, now we live in a world where we can just blow each other up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this with that said, war? let's give our rankings yeah. halfway through our discussion. Yeah, for, for sure. Dude, and that's the sign of a good film. It's Ingy Bingy again. Ingy Bingy. Always, always brings the best out of us. Um, who went last last time? Chris uh, did, right? Did. Why don't you start us off? Oh, right. I think this movie is fantastic. I, Ooh. I, Man, he's really getting on my balls. He needs this your, one. He, he's I just, need to be able to hit it too. He's your AD. You. He's your AD. Yeah, I'm helping you out, man. Well, hey, I'm, man. I'm, hey, when hey. God puts Junta, whatever the fuck his name is, in your cell, you know, take advantage of it. God's take my putting, pencil, dude. Yeah, top bunk. Top bunk. Top bunk. Top bunk. Top bunk. Top bunk. His name was Francois Yost. Yost, not Junta. Junta's a fish Junta. album. Man, oh these names. God. I can't even. Yost. Yost is a good remember name. The Yost. Director's that's, that's a German last name. Yost. Yost. Okay, Yost. What did you think of this film? Fantastic. Uh, it was great. I loved a lot of this film. And like, for me especially, like, it was an hour and 20 minutes. So like, we didn't, we didn't have to linger. We didn't have to like go with it. But the, the parts that were slow and the parts that were a bit laborious were intentional. As with a lot of Ingmar Bergman's films, like there is not a shot in this movie I can point to and be like, that was poor. Even mm. the transition shots, you're like, oh shit, you, you gave a little bit of character because like the priest is, is delivering literally the news that your your husband is dead and he goes over and pets the dog. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy, like that, what a, what a thing, mm. what a thing to put in there. Like what a attention to detail for that. There, there were some places where I like, I was like, okay, maybe this could have been different a little bit. It doesn't breach a nine for me, unfortunately. Uh, I thought that a, a, a couple character choices and a couple like action, uh, action scenes, like the entire like autopsy scene, was really weird, and like the motivations for the character of the school marm were a little strange. Uh, so for that, I'm going to give it an eight point seven. Woo! That's wow. great. That's Woo-hoo. still high. Yeah, yeah, that's very high. That's great. Who do you pass it to? I'm going to pass it to Paul. Oh, thank you, Chris. I, uh, I too, uh, love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I, uh, was deeply moved by the Criterion interview with uh, Ingmar about this movie. Mm. He talks about the butchers and whores. I absolutely love that. Uh, the fact that he was brave enough to perhaps personalize the experience with his father and, shed light on a very very sick as Aaron said and depressed man of the cloth was fascinating to me yeah a movie like this was uh, I personalize movies like this this seems like the experience uh, I grew up with in religion and I felt uh, like this is a movie that I I wished I would have seen before I embarked on uh, you know the Catholic path the scene with the boy was just great I felt like as soon as I saw that little boy, I went, oh, that's me talking to the, the priest. And he's so, it was just a, just a moving scene for me. Uh, for me, this is, uh, as with all Ingmar Bergman movies, you just flip a coin. What is it? Oh, it's a 9.0 for me. Oh, yeah. masterpiece. Wow. Have you, have there been any Bergman films that you didn't like? No. And I will tell you that one of the, I am going to thank you. You know, it was funny off air. Aaron was talking about you as the benevolent dictator. The fact that you got us all together 
to watch Ingmar Bergman films. I was actually in the grocery store the other day. I was crying because I said, oh, my God, I would have gone through my life and not seen his movies. And what a catastrophic disappointment that would have been. Mm. I mean, it's funny because I, you have kept, you, you've always said, Yoshi, you know, like, Ingmar Bergman's one of my favorite directors. It, his movies are amazing. Um, really amazing. And I'm just grateful that we get together and talk about them. I learned so much from these moments when we're together. Everybody has a different viewpoint of things. Yeah. People need to see Ingmar Bergman films. It, it just, it needs to happen. You need to, to do this. You need to get the Criterion channel. You need to go buy these movies, whatever it is. They need to be in your home, in your office. Um, he is a, just a brilliant man. He, Ingmar Bergman, a brilliant man. These, these stories are just amazing. And uh, it was, it's such a joy to watch his movies. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't mm. agree more. I uh, sent it to Aaron last time, so I'm going to send it over to Yoshi here. Okay. Uh, yeah, Ingy Bingy is my favorite. Uh, I've said it time and time again on the I show. I was your favorite. Uh, well, besides you, Christopher. Top bunk, top bunk, top bunk, uh, top bunk, top bunk. Top bunk. Um, I'm glad that Chris is on the top bunk this time around. Um, and uh, I'm glad that it breached a masterpiece for you. Um, I loved this film, uh, but... So far, it's my lowest-ranked Bergman film. Um, Nine point zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which it. doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. um, I thought that it was, I mean, the most focused film of Bergman's work, mm -hmm. as far as a, a bit like like leaning a little bit more towards like Brisson's types pic yeah. type pictures, where. Um, there's nothing superfluous. It's very contained. Every single shot is for a reason. Um, we still managed to get beautiful camera work from Sven Nickvist, uh, Bergman's number two. And um, the lighting was phenomenal. And I think that for me, um, there could have... It's so weird that I'm going to be criticizing Bergman on any level. But I think that there were some things that were just overplayed a bit. And then there was also some things where the story could have been, I think, maybe stretched out a little bit here and there. Um, a few more elements could have been involved. But that's if I'm getting really nitpicky with it. With all that said, we'll get into it. I give uh, Winter Lights an 8.4. Take us home, Aaron. All right. Um... Ingy Bingy returns, and uh, yeah, I mean this this was a difficult one. You know, I, I think if you just sat and anybody down and said, "Hey," and actually, I did sit in anybody. I sat one of my friends down. That's not a cinephile. Doesn't uh -oh. you know? Just uh -oh. entertainment based. Uh oh. I was like, bro, I gotta I gotta watch this movie. Are you down? He's like, yeah, I'll watch it. He didn't get it at all, you of know, course, yeah, and it was just like, I almost had to spend the whole time explaining it. And it's interesting because once I start explaining this film, yeah. it goes up in ranking. But like yeah. initially, like I just don't care for this film that much. Yeah. But when we get into discussion, it's so rich. I mean, it yeah. couldn't be richer. So it's like sneaky. I'm in this weird pool where it's like, no, I don't really like watching this movie, but the discussion is 
is just so deep. I mean, you can go for hours on Ingmar Bergman, which we just started the intro and it was like, yeah, we couldn't even resist it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it it just fires. But you know, as a film, like I, I just personally don't want to see this again, you know, (laughs) uh, but I will give this film a, an 8.3. Oh, so it it didn't tank by any means, but, um, it's, I, I just, as a, as a, as a future cinematographer or something, it's, you have so many lessons to learn in just setting up a good tripod shot. Mm. You don't need movement. I mean, in that church, most of it is still set up your lighting, set up your actors, focus on where you, where you see the frame, the frames, make it art, make it art before it's action. And that's what I take away from Ingmar. And it, that's, that's why I'll revisit his films when I'm, when I'm making my own films, because I want to see how he shapes lights and faces and, and creates images that could go up on this white wall right now. And it would be a beautiful masterpiece. Well, I, I want to bring up how yeah. we originally started uh, watching this film, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. After Mutual I give the final yeah. ranking, yeah. which is an 8.6. Wow. Fair is that nice. our lowest Bergman? That is our lowest wow. Bergman. Well, mm-hmm. Is Virgin Spring? Oh, no, Virgin Spring. because oh, like, yeah. Virgin Spring. Of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I to the wall. stomach to that the wall. To, to the wall. wall. Oh, my God. The origin of to the wall. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no So wall. it was 8. what? 8.6. 8.6. That, that sounds fair. Yeah. yeah. Sounds fair. So the reason we, we, we started watching this film, we, we started doing, uh, I forget what you called it, but it was kind of this like art house bar chic where we put on winter light in the mm-hmm. background and we're playing music. You're playing music yeah, over it. And that was incredible. Right. You got the subtitles, you got like the shot of it, but you didn't really have to pay attention. Right. You just got to appreciate the pure beauty of, of composition and mm-hmm. cinematography. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, I think going off of what, what Paul said, if you're going to teach a class in college, I'm going to build it this way. It is a three hour course. And your prep for this three-hour course is every week you watch a Bergman film. But you start with Winter Light. Mm. And then you go through his entire cinematography. And then you come into week every class and you just speak about the film. And then you, you pick little morsels out of it. So for Winter Light, you talk about blocking. You talk about you know setting up camera shots and lighting and stuff like that. Mm. And then you kind of go like, here's where he like goes and, goes and like falls apart where like, character motivations and then like writing and dialogue and certain things but it's you get that sort of rich nature of what bergman is and then you finish the course with seven seal the cries and whispers i seven seal i think you finish i think that's like a penultimate to me cries and whispers is just so red and black and and white it's just so rich like that's how you do color it's not even the greatest film on our website Cries and Whispers? Well, the master is. Yeah. 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 But, man, Cries and Whispers. Finishing with is, the. Yeah, that's so for modern. For me, is, is the home run. Or Fanny and Alexander, which you guys haven't seen yet, which is was, was originally made as a series. Mm-hmm. When wow. you watch it as a film, it's like a four hour film almost. And it's his magnum opus for sure. Uh, Either that or Cries and Whispers. But we'll bring that on eventually because it's such a good film. But to get back to what Aaron was talking about at the beginning, you watch Brisson or you watch Bergman. And it, I walk away from those experiences saying there's no excuses as a filmmaker mm-hmm. because they are able to do so much with so little. Yes. There's mm-hmm. no excuses. 
You just can, a room. Yeah, just, just a room. Just a box. With some All natural lighting, too, by the way, because Sven Neckvist only uses natural lighting. Yeah. So there's no lights on that set. No, really. That's all prison? that winter light. They waited, and, and he, then he built, they constructed something to capture that light with limited shadow. You're like, okay, this is why people go to Sweden or whatever to see the Aurora Borealis. Maybe it looks just a little differently than going up to Oregon, Washington, Alaska. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's like, it's just so amazing. Yeah, like the scene where uh, it's a simple scene, but the scene where he's in the church towards the beginning, he walks out into the church, he's by himself, and he's in the light. And then it's a one shot. He turns and he walks into the other side of the church where it's dark and that skull's behind him. Yes. Hmm. Remember that part? And then he just walks back towards the middle. And it's like, you know, I don't know if it was his intention, but he's in the light. He can live the light, life in the light. He walks over and he's in the dark. He can live life in the dark. He can get the skull call back to Seventh Seal mm-hmm. where it's lurking over his shoulder. And then the shot, the scene ends with him in the middle with just half of his face covered in the light. And so you have the, it's like he, he's having this internal dialogue that we get to see visually just with the play of light. That's amazing. What would that internal dialogue be? Should I fuck or should I not fuck? <laughs> I, as Thomas, do not know if I should fuck. But if I fuck, I might <laughs> die. While we're on shots, that shot where he's in this very like open part of the church, and it's just like this very ultra wide, and like you just see the whole cathedral how it's laid out. But mm-hmm. I don't. I guess it's not a cathedral, but the nope. with the tree in the back mm-hmm. with the window, like that shot and the sun ray, like he like leans down like that, and the sun. Just burst through. Are you talking about when he's leaning up silhouette. against the window? He's close to it. No, it's this wide shot. Like, I was thinking we were gonna have our show online because I was like, "That's my screen." I said, I yelled it when it happened. I was oh. like, "That's gonna be my background." <laughs> it's just this very wide shot with the, you know, you could see the silhouette of the white tree in the window. I don't know. No, to Chris, remember. put that right here. Chris will put it right there. There we go. Um, I'd have to pull it up. Yeah. Um, what were we starting the conversation with, Chris? You were talking about, um, Jesus? You... <laughs> yeah. Skulls. Dead space. Uh, the, you started the conversation talking about what? Socialism. <laughs> you, we were going to start a college class. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. And we start seal. with, you know, winter light. And... Oh, that's right. Um, no, yeah. Okay, so. I'm reading this book, still reading it. Kaufman's first book. Uh, reading this and, for like four months. Inside. Well, I kind of went, I went away from it as I do, and it's a 400 page, or 500 page. No, it's 700 pages. What am I talking about? And uh, so I, I, it's been put down for a while. But point is, it's it's a comedy. But the the character, the main character, is a film critic, and and he says that you have to watch a film nine times to understand it, and each time you have to do it with a different method. And as of course, it's all comedy, but you know, one of the ways is you have to watch it upside down. One of the ways is you have to watch it silent. One of the ways is you have to watch it backwards. And this is how you get to actually know a piece. But of course, it's absurd. But there is something, and I didn't really discover this until just recently through what we did at our little get-together last time of just watching something with music playing. And so you're not focusing on the dialogue. You're just focusing on the shots. And then also when we're watching, you know, Little, we're going to break the fourth wall a little bit here, but we're watching these intros without sound right now, these little clips that you put together. And that also allows you to access the film in a different light um, of of being able to like just focus on 
the work, the shots, mm -hmm. the cinematography. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to stay up with the story or the dialogue. And so I think that I'm going to make an active um, effort at studying film with the sound off, especially well, Bergman stuff. Especially Bergman, mm -hmm. because Bergman rarely uses a score. Right. Everything is silent, and you have your natural sound. Sound. Same with Brisson. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we didn't get a single piece of music in this entire film. Right. Well, aside from the the organ tunes, right. And the hymns. But that was in the in, yeah, yeah. That was in the film. That's one hiccup I would say is like I got a little bit annoyed that Bergman was really driving home in the first twenty minutes that these people were bored. Like the guy, like yes, like have him yawn once, have him look at his his watch once, but like. He yawned. He was like, "Ah!" Oh. He was like looking at his watch. He's like throwing things. Like it's like mm. we get it. This guy's but, bored. <laughs> but Yoshi, that's part of the experience. He wants to alchemize the materials. <laughs> I was waiting. So why why are yeah. you? You're fucking dumb. You're an idiot. <laughs> Fuck you. Is that how I come off? No. <laughs> okay. Good. This is called heightening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, all right. Someone uh, who oh, take it, take benevolent it. dictator. Zoe, you want to talk about the film? Zoe, what's your opinion on Mr. Light? I like black and white. I like it's the only way I can see. <laughs> I only yeah. see black and white. Yeah. My life is a Bergman film. <laughs> I'm Swedish. You're a good girl. Oh, you're you're right, right girl. on cue. You look at the camera. Oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Goodness gracious. For our audio listeners, there's a good girl on camera right now. Whoa! Ooh. You better clarify what that means. She's a good girl. She's oh, a dog. God. All right, well, um, Chris, where do you want to take the conversation? I have tons of notes, but, you know, I want to talk about the role of Christ and the role of religion in this film okay. uh, and mm -hmm. the very clear uh, atheist messaging in this film, which is interesting, in my opinion. So a little context, and before you go into that, Bergman has a trilogy basically known as the, I don't know, the the... Doubt of God trilogy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if his official name for it, but it starts with Through a Glass Darkly, which I've seen. This is the middle film, Winter Light, mm -hmm. and then the third is The Silence. So this was Bergman in a way sort of exercising, um, and I don't mean working out, I mean like exercising the demon out of him, this, this question that I think was haunting him of God's silence and how do you have faith in, in that world. So go ahead. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great that they introduced that. Uh, it, clearly in the Virgin Spring, it was a very Christian movie. It was a very kind of like dogmatic drive home, like believe and this is what you should do. And then like you should not falter and you should not question. This was a, fu a full on like full on reversal of that. It was just like, holy shit, belief is hard and belief takes discipline and it takes a full commitment and not being a human almost in, in the, in the context of this film, not the context of general, uh, you get so many representations of an atheist perspective where even the, the, the kid is just like, Oh, it's like, Oh, you're going to get confirmed. He's like, no and the priest asks him why. And he goes, I just don't want to. And there's no like shame or, you know, all oh, you should or whatever. It's just like, okay, I accept that, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to bring you here, but he's clearly like a, a still a child and everything. Uh, the best is definitely uh, the, uh, when he delivers the, the news uh, to the wife, the pregnant woman, that her husband has killed, him, has killed himself. Mm. He immediately goes, would you like to read the Bible with me? And it's a, such a heartless 
uh, a proposition of just like, do you want to read the Bible? Like, my husband just died. Obviously, she doesn't say it like that. She's very polite, and it's just like, no, I'm good. I'm gonna go tell my children. Like, focusing on the focusing on the real, focusing on what is present and what is in front of you, rather than like what has been pushed onto you, and not necessarily, you know. People find comfort in many different things. I don't want to, you know, belittle that in any way. But that was such a clear story point in that of saying, like, he has lost his faith and it is spreading. And that is not a bad thing. Yeah. Which I think is beautiful. Yes. I. That's You hit it on the head, Chris. That is what I took from this. Humanizing the priesthood. Uh, what is it that at least one individual goes through? Uh, it was beautiful. It was a yeah. beautiful rendition of someone devolving before our eyes. So I guess I didn't articulate my point very well, and I will not probably articulate it even better now. But I just, that's why the ending seems to me like a, just a reset of like, oh yeah, now I think I'm ready. I just realized that what I'm doing is uh, I'm completely empty. I have nothing to offer. Um, and I just, I just love that. Uh, the scene with the boy that you touched on, which is just great. Um, I saw myself in that boy. You know, it's just, I wish somebody, this is a movie I wish somebody had shown me when I, uh, when I was that boy's age, just to understand that these priests are human beings and they, they might be troubled because it wasn't until later in life you find out, oh, some of those priests are alcoholics or some of those priests, some other things we won't get into. Um, they play the, backgammon. Yeah, they play backgammon yeah. exactly, and their uh, world rating isn't too bad because yeah. they have a lot of time on their hand, and uh, they're able to pip pretty accurately. <laughs> they understand, uh, you know, the rule of twenty-four. Um, you know, and it's they so can, many times where they understand something. Yeah, you and I, you know, like, I have no you idea. Want, what he's you want a double? About. I want a double. Let's double. Great, and uh, love, boom. You know, yeah, and they just bear off as quickly as you can, and uh, you know, a few times that they've gammoned. Uh, I myself have been backgammon competitively. Um, it's it's frustrating, but it does happen. Uh, sometimes the dire. <laughs> Come to Dead Cinema Society for hot backgammon taste. Yeah. It's funny, Chris, that you had the viewpoint that this was an atheistic film. Yeah. On the surface, I feel like it's so funny because I guess Bergman was an atheist. I don't really know for sure if that's the tr the truth. But have we seen any films by him that didn't? in some way talk about God and religion and Christ? No. Nope. No, well, no. Cries and Whispers, I mean, they talk about God very briefly. Yeah, it's not yeah. the focus, but I'm sure it's... it's dealing with death. Dealing with yeah, death. Dealing with death. Yep. So, so, so that's what's so genius about Bergman is he works out his issues and his questions and his... In, in the picture. Yes. You know, like he's working things out. Yes. He doesn't have a, a viewpoint necessarily. 100%. He's asking questions, which is really, yes. I think, I don't see too many people doing that. Um, but I I don't see it as atheistic. I I see it more as calling out hypocrisy and calling out the misfocus, the missing of the mark of yeah. religion of mm -hmm. mo of how most people practice it. Because all these films do have these hidden sort of messages as to what I think Bergman thinks might the answer be. So in the Seventh Seal, we see the moment of se selflessness that the knight chooses to take to save the family, mm -hmm. which is sort of his salvation, which is sort of Bergman saying, like, that's the focus, is the selflessness. And we see that again reflected in this film, 
where the priest is missing the mark. He's missing the point. He's asking these questions. He's, he's doubting the, the existence of God because of his suffering. Well, my wife died. There's an atom bomb. Everything's miserable. Well, where the moment where it's so obvious that he's missing the mark is when this woman who loves him so much, so selflessly, just wants to take care of him, who would probably be a remedy to all of his depression. The answer, like in The Man Escaped, is right in front of you. But you, in your intellectuality, are unable to see what's right in front of you. Instead, you focus on your pain. And that is what makes you blind. And so when she, in other words, he's got two opportunities in this film to do something selfless, which might be the manna, the food Mm -hmm. that his spirit needs. By helping Jonas in his moment of depression, by saving his life, by giving into this love, even if you don't love her in a sexual way, at least accepting this love from this woman and giving it back, being reciprocal with that love, being in the communion of love with these people around you, rather than reading a book and not listening to what you're even saying and focusing on your wife who's been dead for four years, maybe you wouldn't Still be sick. Still wearing your ring. Still wearing mm-hmm. your ring. Yeah. He's not open to what's right in front of him. And that's why I don't think his films are necessarily atheistic. I think they're actually religious in a pure form. But it's kind of hard to see it that way because he is sort of calling out the hypocrisies of the church. Well, that's why I like the 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 Jewish version of, of faith. It's, I don't give a shit if you believe. I do. God exists. It's your choice whether or not to believe in him. And, you know, well, you the, get, the Jewish have more of like a practical approach to things, right? It's, yeah. about, it's about doing things. Well, there's mitzvahs. Action. Yes. The idea it, of action. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, I was completely on the wrong camera. <laughs> it's going to totally happen. Fine. You should let Aaron handle all yeah. that. <laughs> Fuck you. You haven't said a word in like 10 minutes and I'm calling you out. I'm a piano player, so I think I'd be good at it. Yeah. You're not on the sea, Aaron. How can you be good? Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so I got some cool things to add here. What if we combine two of our films today to make a better film? A little bit of alchemy? A man... No, no, no. What, I, what I'd love to see is a man imprisoned by his church, which we're seeing in Winter Light, and then he gets somehow arrested, and now he's in an actual prison. So he goes from the prison of his church, where he's so lost and confused and depressed, and he's dull and people are committing suicide. All those elements are fine. But now I want something to go wrong, maybe wrongly accused, the wrong man, and he gets thrown into prison, and now he has to deal with a different type of prison, but he realizes, like, it's the same prison. Like, it's all followed him, all the suffering, and maybe that's where he finds God, is actually in prison. Aaron, like the I have real a film for him. you. It's called Nazarene. <laughs> uh, but he's not in no, but that's what's prison, so prison. crazy about this show sometimes where this happens like all three of these films are sort of about prisons you know different mm-hmm. kinds of prisons yeah they are the literal prison yeah the mental prison the the, the religious prison, prison. Mm-hmm. the societal prison the you know the culture prison it's like all these people are in prisons in all three of these films and they're all, I mean, our next film is all about four guys trying to figure out how to escape prison. Not a literal one, but a cultural one. Yeah. yeah. And so it's pretty, I didn't plan that, 
That yeah. just happened. It's some, it's somehow the dictatorship works. It's the wind, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, the wind. Like the gospel Intuition. of Swayze. I don't, you've She's said like that a few wind. times now, and I don't know what Patrick Swayze had a song called She's Like the Wind. That's right. And I was going to make a music. She's like the wind. I was actually going to say just play the actual song. I don't want to get in editing. Up, so. Oh, yeah. The that, that's, my, that's my way. Of we're it. still going to, that was really good, though. That was like Thanks. right on, so we're probably still going to get the copyright. Yoshi once told me that I have a surprisingly good voice, and I have been carrying that compliment for over a year. We should go oh. karaoke. I love that. Me and Zoo were just talking uh, yesterday about how. There's these weird moments in life where it doesn't matter who it came from, but it was just what you needed to hear in that moment. Mm -hmm. And you'll have like a flashable memory of that moment. And mine, Zoo and I were talking to that, and my, mine is so strange and weird as why I hold on to this memory. But like I was bef way before I moved to California, so like 12 plus years ago, and I was like arriving at my friend's house. My good friend's twin was at the door when I got there. And he looked at, you know, I was walking upstairs and he looked down at me and he's like, you know, you're looking swole. Like, you're, like, looking, like, really muscular. And I think that's the only time anyone's ever said that to me, which is why it, like, stuck with me. So it's like, really? Well, like, maybe up to that point. Like, that was, oh. like, I'd probably been working out for the first time seriously in my life. Sure. And so somebody said, it was just, like, a validation that I needed in that moment. And now, 12 years later, randomly you have, like, a, a, a this callback to this, like, memory that like seems like it doesn't mean, need to be there why am i holding on to this moment you mm -hmm. know and so now you have that one is with with what yeah. did i say oh that you have a good voice so a surprisingly good voice that's all yeah. it takes guys yeah. compassion yeah. a little compassion yeah, a little bit of love yeah. well that's the thing about 